Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Recently, a group called Our Dream organized a sit-in at the federal building in Salt Lake City to, as the group puts it, pressure our representatives to include protections for DACA recipients in the omnibus spending bill or vote against the spending bill should protection not be included. Of course, we're talking about Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, or sometimes uh, called DREAMers. Uh, And the World Trade Center Utah recently hosted an immigration roundtable with local leaders from agriculture, business, education, tech, faith, political leaders as well, to show support for immigration reforms. They're calling upon Utah's congressional delegation to push forward with action on a solution for uh, DREAMers and quickly. We're going to talk about DREAMers specifically, immigration in general, on the program today. We hope you'll join the conversation. Here's a couple ways you can do that. You can call us at 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495, toll free. You can email us to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. Uh, later in the program, we'll be talking with the president of the Utah Restaurant Association, who participated in the recent Immigration Roundtable. We bring in now uh, Talitha Nascimento, who is a dreamer, a BYU student from Brazil, who organized that sit-in at the Federal Building in Salt Lake City. Welcome to the program. Oh, thank you for having me. Did I get your name right? Uh. Yeah, Talitha Nascimento. <laughs> Nascimento, okay, take the, the, the C out of it. All right. Um, so uh, tell us in brief your, your story. You were you came to the United States nine months old, as I understand it? Yeah, I was nine months old, and we actually came legally on a visa um, that was overstayed, but, uh, you know, yeah. So you're you're a classic dreamer, then. you Your parents made the decision to come. <laughs> um, you were nine months old, and I, I expect right. this, this is the only country you... Well, the country you know. Right. I mean, a lot of people don't really understand that. I, I mean, I, they expect me, you know, when people say, I, I have heard, you know, the classic, you know, go back to your country, why don't you just apply for citizenship or whatever, but it's like, it's not that simple. I mean, I <laughs> I came here when I was nine months old, and this is the only country I know, and, you know, I, I, people are like, oh, well, you demand permanent protection or whatever. You know, you, you just come into this country. But it's like, see, it wasn't my fault. I didn't really have a choice. Right. So, I mean, I'm kind of stuck in that limbo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see if I can find this. I wanted to, uh, this is one expression of that hard line. I'll have you respond to this. Uh, this is uh, someone commenting on the Deseret News website in response to a story about uh, about your sit-in and other things. Uh, This is someone who calls themselves no one of consequence from West Jordan. They said, a family sneaks into your home through the back door. They eat your food, sleep in your beds, mess up your house. You want them to go away, but your neighbors tell you you must treat their children as equal to your own because they had no choice in the matter. And that uh, that somehow means that parents cannot take the children and go back where they came from. The logic gets a little fuzzier at that point. Goldilocks didn't even have it that good a deal. She had to leave. So that's an example of uh, the harder line. I'm I'm sure you hear that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hear that all the time. See, it's different. It's completely different because I'm not actually sleeping in, you know, their physical home. Um, we're completely, I'm, from that person in Utah, for instance, I mean, I grew up in Boston. So, I mean, I'm kind of, they don't even know who I am. <laughs> um, so it's more of, I mean, if somebody's sleeping in your home, you, you actually physically know who they are. Um, and it's one of those things where, you know, they are, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's fuzzy because, I mean, those are completely two different things, but the logic is kind of, I mean, I see why he made that person, you know, made that logic, but it's not the same. Um, you know, I mean, the thing is we're actually contributing 
undocumented immigrants or uh, DACA recipients are contributing millions of dollars. In just the state of Utah, for instance, undocumented immigrants contribute $69 million. And if granted permanent protection, it's actually increased to $91 million. And so that's where we're, you know, contributing to state and local taxes and stuff like that. Um, and so, I mean, people don't really understand the effects that uh, undocumented immigrants in the uh, you know, DACA community has on, you know, the state of Utah or just in general. I mean, undocumented immigrants contributing over $2 billion to this country alone. Um, and so, I mean, it's really difficult to, to kind of negate that argument. But the reality is that it's not the same. <laughs> uh, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about uh, what life was like for you with regard to immigration status uh, before Deferred Action for Childhood Arrival, before President Obama instituted uh, this? Uh, I, I'm guessing before DACA, you, you're kind of in the same boat as your parents, right? Um, no. So my parents are undocumented, and um, so they don't have that protection from deportation or relief from deportation. They're not able to legally work in the country, and they um, can't obtain a driver's license. And so that's a different where myself with uh, DACA, I have that option. So before I was granted uh, uh, DACA, I never really knew that I was undocumented until, you know, I grew up and I saw my friends, you know, getting driver's licenses and stuff like that. And, um, you know, this is, this is before DACA was instituted. So, um, you know, it's, everyone was talking about it. And I was like, yeah, I can't wait to get my driver's license. Only to find out that at the time before, you know, you know, I, I wasn't. I wouldn't be eligible. Um, and then, you know, my parents sat me down. And I, I never really knew, and my parents didn't want me to know because they didn't want me to, you know, worry. They didn't want me to come to that. And they wanted me to just kind of live a normal life. And that's exactly what I was doing up until, you know, I found out that I was undocumented, when it really started to, to negatively affect my life. Um, and so I found out, and my parents sat me down, and they said, you know, Talitha, we have to tell you something. We don't want you to worry. But, you know, you do have to understand um, you are undocumented. Uh, but, you know, President Obama just instituted a policy called DACA where, you know, you will be protected from deportation and you'll be able to legally work and stuff. And I was like, oh, cool. And I never really understood until, you know, DACA, the program itself, was in jeopardy. And that's when I was like, oh, wait, I can't actually do everything that my friends can. I don't actually have to worry. I actually have to worry about, you know, my own my own life and, you know, what I'm going to do and if I can work, can I still go to school and stuff like that. So, What what was that conversation like? That was must have been mind-blowing for you. To it was, You thought it was one way and it's totally different when your parents sat you down. Yeah, I, yeah, I still remember. <laughs> so my parents were actually, at the time my parents were like crying when they told me and I couldn't, I didn't really understand why they were crying because I didn't really understand the effects. Um, or what it really meant to be undocumented at the time, and I, I still remember. And now I understand completely why they were crying. But they were, but they at the time, you know, they were happy for me, and they were like, "This is this is a huge victory," and whatever. And um, and I, I still remember, you know, my parents. We continue to have the same conversation to this day. Um, you know, what might happen if if you know we if DACA is stripped away from me, or you know what exactly what's going to happen. And so my parents, you know, they. They live their life being undocumented, their life being undocumented, and they're like, please, this is the life that we want for you. You know, we want better, and that's why, you know, you should continue to pursue an education and you should continue to do what you're, what you're doing right now. Why did your parents uh, overstay their visa? Was it economics? Uh, what did, uh, why did they stay? 
So they left. So we we come from a very very poor place in northeast Brazil, and um, you know where we lived in what's called a favela, so like you know in the in the ghetto pretty much. And so you know there was a lot of crime, there was a lot of violence. And my parents couldn't afford to feed me. I couldn't. They couldn't afford to buy me diapers. They didn't have mattresses to sleep on. I mean, they, it was just a very you know we there was there was no future for my parents or for myself. Um, and so, you know, it's that classic story where we're trying to escape that, you know, the poverty, we're trying to escape the violence and everything. And so we came here, and my parents did everything they could to come in legally. They did everything they could to do everything the right way. The problem is the system is so broken where they can't actually apply for, you know, an extended visa stay, or they couldn't actually apply for, you know, permanent stay in the United States. It doesn't really work that way. No, um, you know, uh, the people who want to reduce immigration see it as a uh, potential danger. They would say, too bad. You know, you, you, no matter, even if you don't make it in for years and years, you, you have to do it the right way and uh, come in through the front door. And I would say to them, well, we're already here. <laughs> and so, I mean, I, I mean, if we're, if we're talking to, uh, I mean, if, in the state of Utah where a lot of members are Mormons, um, I, <laughs> I would just say, well, the Mormon Church has been very clear. They are anti-deportation. They are against separating families. Um, and that's not, you know, as, as America, as America, that's not, and also as, you know, members of the Mormon Church, that's not where, um, that's just not ethical. That's not right. And, um, and so, I mean, we're already here, and the, the question is, what are we going to do for those who are here illegally already? What are we going to do for them? Not, you know, we're not worrying about those. I mean, we should worry about those who are coming in, but we are already here. And so, I mean, we can't just leave and come back the right way. That's, that's not really how it works. If, you know, laws, there's something called the three- and ten-year bar. And for my family, if they were to go back to their country and try to reenter, they'd be barred for ten years. And so that applies to those who, you know, overstayed their visa or here illegally for over, who accrued, a, accrued a, an um, undocumented presence for over 180 days. And so they'd be barred for com- from coming in te- for ten years, and that's where, you know, the system is broken. And if it were... You know, if it were a lot easier, then, you know, I'm sure everyone else would do it, but it's not. Uh, you know, the U.S. doesn't make it easy for us. Tell me about the uh, protections that you that you currently have under DACA, and then what would be lost if, uh, if, if DACA ran out for you, which I'm, uh, if nothing has changed, I'm guessing it will run out at some point for you. Yeah, I, I, was, I was one of the lucky ones. I was able to renew my DACA, so I have another two years. Um, who aren't quite as lucky, and I know people who DACA have already has already run out, and so for us, what's at risk is you know we we aren't able to work in this country, and we aren't, and you know a lot of us you know work to be able to pay for school, and a lot of us go to BYU because it's cheap, and you know we can afford to go to school. Um, and a lot of other schools don't allow, aren't, you're not eligible for FAFSA, federal or financial aid from the institution itself. And so, you know, we have to do what we can. And so through that, it's working. And, you know, I currently work. And if I weren't able to, I don't really know how I would pay for, you know, school. And so yeah, that would, you know, force me to drop out and, and work maybe for a couple of years before maybe having enough money to be able to go to school again. Um, but, you know, by BYU has this thing where you can, you know, just, and a lot of other schools, I'm sure, you know, you just pay monthly. And so I think that that's been a lot easier um, with working and stuff, so I don't have to pay it all at once. And then, you know, I'm, risk, I'm at risk of losing my driver's license. You know, I, I, I use my driver's license to get to work and 
Um, you know, it's just this big domino effect of if I lose this, then I lose that, and then I lose that. Now, in the meantime, your parents don't have the DACA protections. They, I guess they operate like any other undocumented immigrants. Right. Uh, so my dad has a bunch of cleaning jobs, and he drives Uber. Um, my mom works at McDonald's. Um, and so I'm, I'm, uh, and they sheltered you from this for 16 years, right? Uh, but the, I imagine they have worries about deportation, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, my parents are, <laughs> my parents, I mean, my dad isn't so, I mean, Boston, we live in Boston. So Boston has been, you know, declared a sanctuary city where, you know, if you get arrested or something, they don't. You know, officers, police officers don't have to report to immigration services or anything. And, you know, they can just operate as normal. I mean, given that they, you know, abide by current laws and stuff like that, which is what they've been doing. And so my parents aren't too nervous because we do live in, you know, a blue state where, you know, they they kind of do have advantages over, you know, uh, those undocumented immigrants living in places like Arizona or Utah um, or, you know, southern, more southern red states. So my parents aren't as nervous um, as a lot of others. It, well, my mom is. My mom is an emotional wreck. <laughs> mm. um, but my dad is just kind of like, you know, what, we're going to be okay. It's going to be fine. Um, you know, you don't have to worry about it. Um, but I mean, th- that <laughs> my parents don't worry as much as others do. But I mean, I'm worried for them. Um, I, I, I think my parents kind of put on a face where you know we don't. They don't have to worry about anything. Um, I think to be strong. But I think. You know, underneath they are they are worried. Now the political climate, uh, as we all know, completely changed uh, early November of of, of last year. Uh, what was uh, what was the reaction of your family, friends, people people you you know immediately? Um, we you know the 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 climate changed immediately on immigration, and as we've seen in, in the in intervening year, um, President Trump has been doing everything he can to. Uh, take a harder line, to have the government take a harder line on immigration, including uh, attacking sanctuary cities, etc. And um, the Justice Department has, is phasing out DACA. Yeah, um, I think it was full of tears. I think I, when, when that happened, I, I, I really didn't expect that <laughs> to happen. I mean, Hillary Clinton won the popular vote and all kinds of things. I was expecting it to go that way. Um, and, and, you know, she wanted it. She wanted to provide undocumented DACA recipients with a pathway to citizenship. Um, Donald Trump was elected, and then I think I, I was extremely nervous for my own future. future. I, wanted, I want to be a lawyer, actually. And there are only two, two states where you know, undocumented immigrants can practice, and that's in California and in New York, I believe. Uh, no, not in New York, Chicago. Um, and so, I mean, I was like, well, I really want to do this. I really want to do this. What am I going to do with my future? Um, and, you know, my parents were, they were, they weren't expecting it as well. They were anticipating, you know, a Democrat in office. Um, and so, I mean, it was, it, it was really emotional for me for, you know, a couple of days. I had to process it. I had a lot of friends who were undocumented as well. Um, I knew a lot of members, a lot of church members. I knew a lot of people in my community who were undocumented. And it was just for a couple of days, it was just really quiet. I mean, at first it was loud, Facebook, everything was going crazy. And then after a while, it was just quiet, and people were just kind of taking it in and, you know, trying to figure out exactly what they were going to do <laughs> with their future. Hmm. 
So tell me, uh, by the way, just to reset the scene, we're talking with Talisa Nascimento. She's a dreamer, a BYU student uh, studying uh, sociology, is it? Um, yeah. And uh, she is, as you just heard, she's hoping to become a lawyer. Uh, she and her parents are undocumented. Uh, she has currently uh, DACA protections, but for some, those are running out as uh, the Trump administration is phasing out DACA. The president said he wants to, uh, he, he's thrown this to Congress. He says that's where it should have been uh, before and uh, they should act. Uh, but we'll, we're, we'll see. So that brings us, uh, and by the way, you can join this conversation. Hope that you will. I want to get your take on the Dreamers, on immigration in general. Uh, maybe you have experiences. 800-826-1495. 800-826-1495. Toll-free number uh, anywhere. And uh, you can join us by email to upraxcess at gmail.com. Upraxcess at gmail.com. Uh, so, Talitha Nascimento, um, you recently uh, were one of the organizers, sounds like the principal organizers, for a sit-in at the federal building. Why did you want to do this? What message were you sending? Well, <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot. So, you know, Donald Trump told us, you know, that dreamers would rest easy, that we wouldn't have to worry. And then all of a sudden, you know, DACA is, is grandfather, DACA is phasing out. Um, and so, you know, it seems like in Utah there were, some rallies here and there for Dreamers, but it seems like, you know, Dreamers weren't the primary focus, that there were other, you know, protests going on, and, you know, that's fine. But I think when families are at risk for deportation, there needs to initiative needs to be taken. And I come from a place in Boston where, you know, as part of the student immigrant movement, we were always doing protests, we were always pushing for, you know, some sort of action. And in Utah, I didn't really see that from youth. I saw it from adults, maybe, but I wanted, you know, youth to be more engaged. Um, and so I was like, well, I, I noticed that, you know, the Our Dream campaign was organizing a nationwide sit-in where, you know, thousands of people were allies, dreamers, undocumented, were coming together to, you know, demand that rep- representatives vote no on the spending bill unless it includes the Clean Dream Act. Um, and so I was like, well, okay, we're going to conduct a sit-in at the federal building. And, you know, we're going, I was risking arrest. And I had a couple of lawyers on my side, and I was like, well, you know what, I'll be okay. But I figured if nobody else is going to speak for me, if I'm not, you know, and of the 10,500 other dreamers in Utah, then I'm going to speak for them. I'm going to use my voice and my privilege, and I'm going to do that. Um, so you you made some adjustments, and you decided to sit in the, in, in the lobby. But uh, what was the response uh, from... Uh, did you get a lot of people there, and what was the response from uh, other people? So at first we had a we had a couple we had a decent amount of people, and you know I was excited, and you know I figured, well, well, what happened was we kind of established who's going to be risking arrest, and there were five of us, um, and that was kind of the main focus. And so what happened was, you know, we uh, a friend of mine at first, well, you know, we wanted to get up to the Senator Hatch's office. And, you know, the, they, there was security, and they didn't really let us go through. And they were like, well, only two of you can go up. And so, you know, we went up um, just to kind of check out the, the atmosphere, see what it's like. Um, and so what happened, we, it, was, it was different because so many other buildings don't really have security at first, but we had security right there in our faces. Um, and we wanted to get up there. Um, and so we went up there, kind of check out the scene. We came back down, and we were like, yeah, there's no way that we can make it up there, that all of us can make it up there. So we decided, you know what, we're just going to sit in the lobby. And um, 
you know, the kind of the, the, the rule was, you know, you sit in until somebody from, you know, the, the, per, the, the representative staff comes down. And we weren't expecting it. We, were, we weren't expecting somebody from Senator Hatch's office to come down and, you know, speak to us. Because um, usually I think they just are too busy or they don't, but I think they kind of wanted to prevent, you know, any, any they wanted to prevent any, uh, I guess, attraction or some negative reputation or whatever on the federal building or whatever. So, you know, somebody came down. And so at first what happened was, you know, she's like, well, I'm willing to talk to you. And I'm like, well, you can talk to us while we're sitting. Um, we'd be happy to sit. Security officers were extremely rude to us. I mean, um, you know, not really knowing that we were DACA recipients. I, I was the only one. And, you know, <laughs> the, he, they, I don't think he really, I don't know. But he was kind of rude. And, you know, he was like, you know, if you guys do anything or whatever, face consequences, get arrested. And we were like, okay, that's fine. We'll get arrested. Because that was kind of our goal. We wanted to attract, you know, uh, we wanted the media attention on that. And so she came down, started talking to us about the Six Feet Act, which is just a, you know, quote-unquote bipartisan bill for a 15-year-long process for dreamers or whatever. Um, and she was trying to, you know, feed us with that um, with that crap, basically. And we were, we were having it. We were like, no, I'm sorry. We were arguing with her back and forth. And, you know, she left, and then we started to protest outside instead. But what happened, you know, because the campaign said, you know, if somebody comes down from the office, you won't have to conduct the sit-in, continue the sit-in. But I really wanted to anyway. But others were like, you know what, maybe we should just talk to her. And that's it. And I'm like, well, I didn't really want to. But, you know, differences aside, I mean, uh, you know, we got that attention. But, I mean, I, I would like to. Uh, we just have a couple minutes left uh, here. Um, so, Salitha Nascimento, uh, I don't know what you think about Representative Mia Loves, uh, her replacement for DACA. It's called RAC, Recognizing America's Children Act. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that um, is that sufficient? Is that okay, or do you do you want uh, more protections, or what? What are you what are you seeking? See, the thing is, with the Dream Act, it, it provided us a a pathway to citizenship, whereas the RAC Act does not have that pathway to uh, citizenship, and that is our end goal. So I think the RAC is more, you know, provisional protection and that kind of thing, but there is no pathway to citizenship, whereas the Dream Act did. Um, and I understand that it's a, you know, it's a five-year-long process as opposed to, you know, the 15-year-long Succeed Act that Senator Orrin Hatch proposed. Um, and it's definitely a step towards, you know, a cleaner Dream Act, but, you know, the fact of the matter is it's not what we want. What we want is not because we need a pathway to citizenship, and that's just not what it does. Uh, in the meantime, I guess you'll be uh, continuing with your life there at BYU, sociology degree, hopefully a law degree in the future. And you've you've got, personally, you've got a couple more years of DACA protections, but you say you know people whose uh, DACA protections are running out. Yeah, it's really sad. I have so many friends who are extremely worried their DACA has ended, you know, they're out of their jobs. Extremely sad. Are you, uh, those immigrant communities, um, I guess those who can vote, do you you think they're riled up? think they'll come out in greater numbers, 2018, 2020? You know, I, I sure hope so. I sure hope that, you know, they they use the clubs that they have to vote, and they use their voices, and they use what they have to be allies to DREAMers. Um, you know, the immigrant community, they, 
were naturalized or whatever. I'm sure at one point they understood what it was like, um, you know, to really face, to really experience what it's like to be, you know, the minority in the United States. Um, and, you know, to be at, to, to fear, you know, for their lives. And so I really hope that, you know, the allies and those, you know, do come out and do vote um, to protect us or, you know, help us out in some way. All right, we'll uh, let you go, and uh, I believe you have to get to class. Uh, Talitha Nascimento is a dreamer, BYU student uh, from Brazil. She organized a sit-in at the Federal Building in Salt Lake City, uh, urging Utah's congressional delegation uh, to include protection for DACA recipients in the omnibus spending bill, or vote against that spending bill should protection not be included. Um, Talitha Nascimento, thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. Um, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll have one of the participants in a recent uh, immigration roundtable, uh, president of the Utah Restaurant Association. We'll continue this discussion on dreamers and on immigration as well when we come back. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking about immigration, specifically uh, DREAMers, the uh, recipients of the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. As you know, President Trump uh, ordered the Justice Department to uh, phase that program out. Uh, he is at least announced that he uh, sees this as a way of putting pressure on Congress. He says that this these protections should not have been instituted by executive order by President Obama that should have been uh, originating from Congress. He's urging Congress to act, and uh, various groups are also urging Congress to act and uh, to take advantage of an opportunity here with the uh, with the spending bills coming up. Showdowns over a government shutdown perhaps provide leverage. And uh, recently, um, the World Trade Center Utah hosted an immigration roundtable with leaders from agriculture, business, education, tech, faith, political leaders to show support for immigration reforms. And uh, they thanked Utah's congressional delegation for their efforts, called on them to push forward with action on a solution for DACA recipients, the Dreamers, quickly. And so now we bring in uh, Melva Sine, president of the Utah Restaurant Association, who participated in that recent immigration roundtable. Welcome to the program. And it, did I get your name right? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, so tell us about the Utah Restaurant Association. So the Utah Restaurant Association in 2018 will be celebrating our 75th year as the voice of Utah's restaurant industry. Um, and, um, and so we are moving forward on a platform of helping our restaurants to be successful and uh, being able to access and have access to uh, employees is a critical portion of that. And that's where you get into immigration uh, issues. What's the, uh, what's the Utah Restaurant Association's position on immigration? So, of course, I think that at this point we need to separate DACA from immigration uh, because those young people are not immigrating to America or to Utah. They're already here. Um, and in most instances, they're already employed. They've been through our education system. They now know English as well as their uh, home language. And so this, this is a totally separate issue from issues that relate to, you know, border security and, and issues that relate to immigration um, into our country, into our state, um, and this needs to be specialized. We hate deadlines, right? But if 
by creating a deadline, we've said you have got to do something. Uh, I've been in my position for years, and we've worked on immigration policy and trying to get effective immigration policy and, and needed uh, improvements and changes, and we, it's just a stalemate at every uh, turn. And so hopefully uh, having a deadline is creates the critical need that uh, we cannot hold these young people hostage um, you know, the young lady you had on before mentioned that there are people um, at risk. And there are people at risk, and there are lives at risk. These are human beings. And um, the day after the uh, president signed the order, we had calls into our office with people saying, you know what, my I can't renew my DACA papers now. And um, or my DACA papers become due in November, and they won't accept my new application and whatnot. But these are... These are young people who have families who are fathers and mothers and, uh, and you know, need their jobs. And so uh, we have created a critical mass situation here that has to be addressed. Do you see this as a humanitarian issue or an economic issue or, or, or both? It's, it, yeah, it's both of those, right? How can we possibly um, let people kind of live on the edge, not knowing whether they're going to be safe or not safe, whether they're going to have a job or not have a job, whether there's a pathway, whether they can be, um, how, you know, it's, it's uh, beyond belief that we haven't come up with a way to, um, to help these young people. It's an economic crisis if um, our industry and many others in the state of Utah are not able to find people who are willing to work, want to work, see work as the way to make their lives better. Uh, improve their lives for themselves and their families. And the restaurant industry is the industry of opportunity. We're working hard to create well-trained, qualified employees. We have programs in our high schools. We're working diligently to make sure that we have uh, a workforce that understands um, and has a will to work, wants to go out and seize work and a job opportunity as the ability to live the American dream right here in Utah and, uh, you know, at some point maybe not just operate a restaurant but perhaps own a restaurant. And so um, we try to bring those opportunities and make that available to everyone. In this roundtable discussion, uh, you know, many leaders from various fields, I notice in addition to you from the Utah Restaurant Association, there's the president of the Utah Manufacturers Association, president of EnviroClean, uh, the president of Utah Farm Bureau Federation. Um, so, as and we know this, a lot of uh, business groups definitely see this as uh, we need we need employees, and uh, some of those employees are going to be um, immigrants. I wonder how how critical are immigrants to to your industry? So. Um our industry could not survive if uh, if there is not a um, solution to this DACA situation. And uh, based on the figures that were reported at that uh, World Trade Center roundtable, um, we would lose 100 employees uh, a day out of Utah. There's not an industry that I know of, certainly not ours, that could survive losing that amount of employees. There's there's no one to replace them. Right now, the economy is such, and, and um, the, the restaurant industry has been doing very well. It's a very resilient industry, the industry of opportunity, as I mentioned. And so the only thing that is going to prevent our industry from um, growing at the pace that we can
can is that we cannot find employees. There are restaurants now who've cut hours, who would stay open later, open earlier, and whatnot, and have other um, problems related to having enough staff to uh, help them in their operations. One argument you hear is that immigrants uh, take jobs from uh, citizens. Um, sounds like that's not the case, at least in the Restaurant Association, if you're looking for, if you take that kind of a hit to just with the Dreamers. Right. We, we see uh, a situation where, um, you know, in most of our restaurants, um, you know, uh, they're offering $12 plus an hour to get employees. Um, and so there certainly isn't a minimum wage issue here for Utahns and for um, for those who are not immigrants. I mean, uh, there is a job opportunity. The, the great thing about the restaurant industry and, and perhaps other industries as well, but I represent the restaurant industry, is that um, a, a person can come in and take a job and um, and then they advance quickly. Within a year, year and a half, most of our employees can rise to whatever level they uh, want to pursue. So they can be an assistant manager, a manager, they can be a chef, they can be a certified chef. They're, they're, the opportunity is endless. Uh, and so what we need is to continue to be able to um, have people enter our training programs and be able to use, you know, I mean, it's there whether you're uh, born and raised Utah, or whether you immigrant or, or an immigration or an immigrant coming to Utah, job opportunities are available in the industry, and we welcome people who want to be a part and take a career path in uh, working in the restaurant industry. Have you seen, uh, is maybe anecdotally, but have you seen any changes uh, with, the, with the new climate that came in with the election? Uh, President Trump has set out very uh, purposely to uh, to send the message to undocumented immigrants: "You're not welcome," and we're going to, you know, throw up the borders and we're going to make it harder uh, for you, and we want you to leave. Um, many of these undocumented immigrants are working in industries, uh, various industries. Um, I'm not sure if you've what you've heard or what you've felt or what's come back to you in the in the, in the past year. So, in relationship to, I mean. Utah signed the Utah Compact. Uh, our industry was one of the people who signed on the original Utah Compact, which said that regardless of um, regardless of issues that face our nation, because of the fact that on a national basis we have not had the reform we need, we have not. We, this is not a new issue. And we have been just kicking the can down the road for whichever generation to handle it. And I think Utah made it clear that we welcome uh, we welcome immigration into our state. Um, we welcome immigration uh, of all people into our state, whether it's someone who lost their job in another state or someone who came from another country or whatever it is. Utah is welcoming. Our people are hospitable. We want to train. We want to educate. We want to provide opportunity. And, um, and so I think we've made it clear. So regardless of whatever the, the immigration issues are on the national level, and of course, we as an industry support border security. We want the uh, citizens and the people in the United States to feel safe, and we want people to come through and use uh, the methods and means to immigrate here 
in a uh, in a legal and proper way. But at the same time, these young people are here. They have grown up with our children. They have gone to our schools. We have educated them. We have done all of these, provided all of these services. And now, when they are ready to be contributing citizens and and in a way kind of say pay back because now they're earning salaries, they're paying taxes, they're doing all of these things. Now we want to say, okay, now you need to leave. It just, I mean, it, it isn't good policy. Hmm. Want to uh, just to review briefly the Utah Compact? You brought it up. Um, a declaration of five principles: federal solutions first, immigration and federal policy, so it should be driven by the the federal government. Law enforcement respect the rule of law. Uh, families, strong families, are foundation of successful communities. Oppose policies that unnecessarily separate families. Economy: Utah is best served by a free market philosophy and maximizes individual freedom and opportunity. And finally, a free society. Immigrants are integrated into communities across Utah. We must adopt a humane approach to this uh, reality. So it's a, uh, it's you know, it's very on the spectrum, very moderate. Um, would uh, I suppose you would advocate this if if there was an opportunity for you know nationally? Absolutely. I mean, there are so many issues, and yet we have we just continue to complicate the issue of how do we honor visas, how do we help these help people? Because we need entrepreneurship. We many times people from other countries come to our uh, universities and our colleges to be educated, and then as soon as they're educated, we say, okay, yeah, now go back to your own country. Well. The fact is, is that we need those people. We need all levels of visas to be able to welcome all of those who want to have opportunity, um, opportunity for their families, opportunity for um, entrepreneurship. All of those opportunities need to be available to those who come into the United States. Um, we need to, you know, look at how we handle the visa situation so that we can take in and allow all. Uh, all categories of uh, people who want to come in and be a part of our society. You've mentioned entrepreneurship a couple of times, and I, uh, I uh, anecdotally at least, that's what I've known. And immigrant friends I've had, uh, or continue to have, so they're still friends, uh, very entrepreneurial. Um, that seems to be a strain. Um, and uh, I guess I'm hearing you advocate for maybe loosening some restrictions so that that uh, economic power can be unleashed. The, the most of these people, and I'm specifically addressing the DACA situation, they are here. They are in our colleges now. They are, you know, managers. They are owners. They are operators. They have uh, served our state well, continue to serve our state well. So the, the, the key between, between, uh, behind entrepreneurship is a passion, a dedication to work. I mean, most People in our industry who make it to ownership have put in untold hours, uh, put everything at risk and whatnot. These people um, are willing to take that chance, give them an opportunity. They're willing to, you know, if the door is slightly open, they're willing to walk through the door and work hard and understand um, that what they're willing to put in, there will be an uh, equal um, opportunity on the, the other side that, for their success. I wonder uh, the the measures that uh, 
that are being put forward by Utah's congressional delegation. I wonder what you think about those. Uh, Representative Mia Love uh, has uh, something called the RAC, um, which is the uh, Recognizing America's Children Act. Uh, Senator Hatch has proposed uh, something that uh, we heard in the in the previous half hour. Uh, Talitha Nascimento would prefer DACA because uh, she wants a path to citizenship. Representative Love's uh, measure would not, but uh, there there have been some uh, plans put forward. Do you support any and all of these? Well, we support a solution, finding a solution. So um, we think that our national delegation represents the best uh, of what is available for them to, you know, push through. But we we need to stop having temporary stop gaps, something that just solves this particular issue or that particular issue. And I think Senator Hatch and I know uh, Congresswoman Love and I know that our delegation is behind um, supporting immigration, um, you know, uh, and making it so that the economy in our state continues to grow. I know our governor, I know his office and and others are working diligently to try and create pathways so that we can um, continue to welcome immigrants into our state. But most importantly, we have this deadline facing us on DACA. So, yep, we have lots of other immigration issues that um, that we need to address. I mean, we need to address illegal immigration, right, and how to do it right and how to create a, a um, pathway to citizenship because some of the requirements to become a citizen of the United States says you have to live in America, and yet we don't want them to live in America. And, and there are – so we need to go through the immigration um, and, and how we allow immigration into our country. We need to address all of those um, issues, but right now we need to focus on these young people who are associated with DACA because they are not living stable lives now. Right now, we have created a nightmare for them um, in terms of are they going to be allowed to work? Do they need to try and find uh, transportation? What I mean, their lives are uh, basically they're living on the edge, and we we need to address. A DACA, and we need to do it in a um, priority fashion so that these people know that they are safe in America. You mentioned deadline, and the, the, and the President Trump says that's the reason why he uh, he did the, the, this action is to focus the attention on Congress and uh, hopefully spur them. Um, and it's, it, I'm hearing Republicans, Democrats. Uh, people on both sides of the aisle say they want to get this done. Um, what do you think the prospects are? It's, it seems like it's it's hard to get something through Congress. Yeah, it, it is, but I but I think that the deadline, uh, although as I mentioned, we hate deadlines, but I think the deadline creates um, that this becomes a priority issue. You have to address the DOC Act, and everybody wanted it addressed by Congress, and there's been criticism about the fact that it was an executive order and some of these other things. Okay, so Congress, now you have your opportunity to act. You need to act uniformly, bipartisan, and we need to take care of these um, these young people who know no other country, who know no other life, who want to work hard, who want to, um, you know, uh, 
take advantage of every open door and every opportunity that's available to them. And we need to um, we need to act um, in order to be able to give these young people the security they deserve. Would you support uh, taking it to DEFCON 5? Some are advocating that this ought to be, um, from the Democrat side is what they're advocating, this ought to be a, a condition for the Democrats' support for the ominous spending bill. In other words, DACA versus, you know, uh, the federal government shuts down. Is it that high a priority? I think, as you mentioned, this needs to be uh, bipartisan. I, I don't care what your uh, political affiliation or philosophy might be. We are talking about human lives that add to our economy, that are that are a part of our society now, that we know as our friends, that, that our children have grown up with and gone to school with. This, this is not an issue that should be addressed um, with any kind. We shouldn't be using human beings as some sort of leverage. We should be taking care of their needs and doing it in a uh, responsible way that gives these uh, people security that we respect them, we appreciate them, and we, you know, value them being among us. And you said before, I was surprised by the number you said, the DACA, you know, DACA recipients in Utah. I think we tend to think these are uh, it's a small-ish number, but I'm reading here from um, World Trade Center Utah, uh, in excess of 13,000 DACA-eligible recipients in Utah. Right, yeah, and if we started uh, with, if, if they don't get this done, if we started on March 5th, 2018, losing 100 people a day until we didn't have those 13,000 people here any longer, we would create an economic crisis in our state. Just mm-hmm. so about a minute left. Any Anything you'd like to say finally uh, here on, on the issue? No, I appreciate the opportunity, Tom, to be on your show, and, and I'm hoping there will be enough pressure brought to bear and as i say our congressional delegation is is wants to find a solution uh to the daca and we need to encourage everyone to get on board that this be a non uh, bipartisan issue and that we solve this issue quickly so that these people can be uh secure in, uh, in in their educations, in their work, and I mean, these most of these young people are paying for their educations if they're enrolled in our schools, and they're paying taxes when they're working, and they're working to get their education. So we need to come up with a solution, and we need to do it in a timely manner. We've been talking with Melva Sine, president of the Utah Restaurant Association. She participated in a recent immigration roundtable on uh, the Dreamers, the recipients of the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. Uh, thanks so much. Yes, thank you, Tom. And I hope you join us tomorrow. We uh, are going to have our Access Utah Holiday Special, and we'll hear some great music from the Lightwood Duo. That's our program for tomorrow. Thanks for listening today.